0: Welcome to another edition of the Hawk Off the Press podcast. I'm your host, Gazette Hawkeyes reporter, John Steppe. I am joined today by Kennington Lloyd-Smith, my Hawkeye reporting counterpart at the Des Moines Register. Kenny, thanks for joining me today.
1: Thank you for for having me on. Uh, I'm a big fan of Hawk Off the Press. This is my second time being on the show, so I'm honored. I was honored the first time. I'm honored to be invited for a second time. I'm looking forward to a good conversation.
0: Well, hopefully, I can one up Leah on the questions <laughs> I threw out you there. So before we get into football stuff, um, which there's plenty of, got an important question for you ahead of this colder weather starting to get here. Oh, you know where this is coming or yeah, where do. this is going already.
1: I do. Did, I did do. you
0: finally buy an ice scraper?
1: Yes, I did. I did. I did. I got it on Amazon. Um, I saw it was like one of those. I don't even know how to describe it, but it's like long. It has like a brush type thing on one side and the script. Oh, the that's edge, a must. Like you have to like, you know, it's one of those like two hands, like real elbow grease, like all of that type stuff. So uh, I saw it immediately uh, like on my Twitter timeline on like one of those like flash deal pages and bought it immediately. So <laughs> on the way. Um, so looking forward to that. I know I have to um, probably buy, buy some more things, but When I come to the game on on Saturday, I'll show you the the ice scraper that I had originally coming from Georgia. Um, It's literally that small. It will like fit in the smallest pocket of my book bag. It's really sad. Um, (laughs) So we're going to we'll have a good laugh about that for sure.
0: (laughs) Well, that's good because sooner or later we'll have the like inch thick ice the worst is when like you don't touch your car for, well, not quite inch thick. I'm exaggerating a little bit. I don't want to scare you too much here, right. but the like really thick ice when you don't like touch your car for a while, like that's, yeah, good thing you don't have the pocket size ice scraper anymore.
1: Right, right. Well, I have thankfully I have a garage uh, where I live, so I'm sure that will help some. Um, I don't know if like snow or or whatever like can infiltrate small garages well we'll see we'll see what happens i've only seen like five inches of snow in my entire life so oh wow be, yeah it's gonna be crazy um, when it starts snowing for real
0: well the good news is i don't think the snow is gonna infiltrate the garage so okay. that's, that's good to know that's the silver lining there you will have more than five inches in one day though so well, hopefully get excited for that
1: right hopefully those days are um are few or far between
0: and hopefully not Tuesdays or Saturdays. Right, 100%.
1: percent. Let's I'm good. I'm liking this good energy. I feel like we're getting off <laughs> a really good start um, today with these with these affirmations. Let's keep them going.
0: All right. Well, going now into football, and as much as I could talk about Midwest weather, as like the most stereotypical Midwesterner, um, biggest storyline going into this game seems to be. Alex Padilla seems to be the starting quarterback unless something crazy happens. It wouldn't shock me if all of a sudden Ferris pulls kind of a little bit of a rabbit out of his hat, but as of right now, it looks like it's Padilla time in Iowa City.
1: Right. I think that there is some aspects of, of kind of some gamesmanship with Kirk Ferris and how he's talking about Petrus. I think, and I mean, this common across... All sports really, you know, one of your important players gets hurt and reporters or or fans are asking if he's going to play, not going to play. And the the coach says something vague, you know, oh, it's day to day or we're monitoring it closely. We'll see. We feel good about it. Um, Just to kind of throw out something else for P.J. Fleck in Minnesota to prepare for uh, or keep an eye out on. So I think that that's a that's a part of it. But personally, I just from what I saw at the Northwestern game, you were sitting right beside me. It just looked like his shoulder is going to take a little bit longer than a week to to be able to throw at the velocity that they really want to see it at in order to to be successful. So the way that I was looking at it is at this point in the season, especially when you're in a four-way tie and every single game is important, we're kind of looking at every game as a one game one week season because if you don't win Saturday then you know everything else afterwards isn't going to matter in terms of the Big Ten West race so you kind of owe it to the team owe it to your yourself to do what is going to make you the most successful that's riding with Padilla who's the healthiest option the most experienced option and he actually uh, played really well against Northwestern considering the circumstances coming in cold throwing the ball 28 times which I think shows A lot of trust so they have a a viable option we've seen what what he's able to do so it makes sense to to kind of roll with Padilla I think the interesting question is let's say he has another great game against Minnesota they win Um, that's when I think we're really gonna start you know really entertaining the the thought of him being the the permanent starter at quarterback
0: and I think the other thing too is it isn't like Petrus was under throwing these deep 40-yard passes he was under throwing some pretty normal regular short passes where right. if you're under throwing it by that much for those routes yeah there's a long ways to go before you're gonna be the healthy number one starting quarterback so you know I'm not a medical expert but so maybe a miracle happens but I wouldn't necessarily hold my breath for that one
1: Right. It was there was two two plays really stick out that kind of, I think, illustrate where he's at with his health. The first one, I think, was his last play before Padilla took over against Wisconsin, where he sailed one over Keegan Johnson's head. And it was we didn't know if that was maybe a miscommunication or it was something health wise. And then coming out against Northwestern, another pass to Keegan Johnson where he just shorted it on. Um, kind of like an out route. It was a very simple, like you said, like a five, six-yard pass, and he just kind of threw it in the dirt. And that was when it was, I think, pretty apparent to everybody that he wasn't um, at full strength. So we'll see how long it, it takes for him to to get healthy. Um, shoulder injuries are are nothing to play with. Uh, we see that, um, especially in the NFL. You look at Dak Prescott, what he went through in training camp, dealing with his shoulder injury and what it took for him to, to come back. So we don't know the, the severity of it. Uh, I imagine it's somewhat serious stuff. He's going to miss multiple games. So that's just something that we're going to have to keep an eye out on, but um, looks like Padilla is, is, is the man he was rolling. Um, I was really impressed with the fact that he did a lot of his work out of the pocket and not using that element of his game that a lot of people were, were clamoring to for why he should be starting in the first place was because he can skip the pocket. He can make plays with his legs. He didn't have to do that against Northwestern. Luckily the line played very well. Um, So the, the fact that he is able to to play a full game from the pocket and not just have to rely on running 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 every single time to make plays I think is a positive sign
0: yeah it was kind of surprising when I was watching the replay it's like oh wow it took him a while he did eventually roll mm-hmm. out a couple times but I don't think the first I think it's just like maybe one or two plays there in the first half that he was out of the pocket and then a little more in the second half but that is a great point. You know, he did the job in the pocket really well. Um, and then it seemed like play calling wise, they just weren't really giving him the ball much. It almost seemed like they thought they had a bigger lead than they did with right. the way that they're just running the ball, not really in any unpredictable way, but just to kind of kill the clock. You have thought that it was a 31 point lead, not a, it was an 11 point lead at that point. Yeah.
1: yeah It was, yeah, that is, that is a good point. I think there's just a lot of there was just opportunities, I think, to squeeze out a few more points here, a few more points here, or so punch it here, punch it there, like really be um aggressive and they really didn't take those opportunities. I think that Kirk Farron says something like they felt like they had the game pretty much in hand with how well the defense was was playing. So maybe they didn't feel a super need to kind of like you know punch the gas it kind of felt like throughout the game that i don't I'll, I'll, let me start by saying this there was never a point in the game really where i thought the iowa was going to to lose the game i feel like they had the game pretty much in their control but they had their foot kind of hovering over northwestern's neck but they never really put their foot on it until dane bill's interception that that clinched the game they were they were winning they had the game in hand but it just kind of felt like you know, a few plays here or there going the opposite way, and we could be kind of looking at a different ball game, which we saw for a very short period of time at the very end when they got the touchdown, then Iowa three and outs with, um, with the two minutes left, they punt the ball. It's like, okay, like it's starting to get a little um, interesting here. So I think that in this game against Minnesota especially, this is an, a significant upgrade in talent level defensively from what they're going to see against Northwestern. I think that if there's going to be opportunities – Maybe let's say end of the first half. I right, we get the ball and start the second half. They have an opportunity to execute a two minute drive. Maybe get a field goal, come out, get the ball second half. They have to be able to to take advantage of those opportunities because um, North Minnesota is is a better team than Northwestern. So maybe those that conservativeness and the opportunity that Northwestern had that they that they faltered on, um, Minnesota could capitalize on, on that. So.
0: And Minnesota has a lot better of a rush defense too, where Northwestern is kind of Swiss cheese when it comes to their rush defense this year. But Minnesota is, it's not Wisconsin level, but it's certainly a lot more formidable. So when you're trying, if you're just going to go to that default, okay, kill the clock here that might not go so well.
1: Right. Exactly. Um, it was, you know, Minnesota's defense in a way is kind of like I was, when we're talking about an factor um, at Big Ten media day, PJ Fleck s- spoke about having 10 returner returning starters coming back on defense this year, last year, the defense took them once they had a lot of young players this year, you see a defense of, of players who are more experienced, who understand the system, who are trusting the system. And they're seeing those results. I believe they have the eighth ranked um, defense, total defense nationally. So, Similar to Iowa in that regard, and that the players just kind of like that. The defense has an identity; they know what they're trying to do. It it's, it seems to be very effective. I think that the best day for Iowa is that uh, going up against the Northwestern team, um, who had the last running rush defense in the Big Ten. At least they were able to execute in that game. I think that mm-hmm. if they weren't able to execute in that game, they just you know bar- we barely eked out a, a win. the The level of confidence will be a little bit different than the way that they 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 played averaging five yards per carry. So at least they have some positive momentum. They can keep it it rolling. Um, So I'm looking forward to to seeing what they do in the run game. I think that's really going to be a key is like getting that established, keeping Padilla ahead of the sticks um, and not putting him in situations um, that are going to be difficult for him.
0: And the interesting thing too is how they're okay, I think everyone knew Tyler Goodson is one of the best running backs in the Big Ten if not nationally, in terms of talent. Um, he hasn't really had a ton of open space this year. So I think people would have expected, say, a Tyler Goodson to have a good game against Northwestern. But then Gavin Williams had that nice, I think it's 41 yards on 10 carries, mm-hmm. which certainly gets the job done as an underclassman thrown into that role. Um, and then you have Arlen Brutes, who got the 10-yard run, who kind of seems like almost a little bit of a running back at heart still. Um, So he seemed to enjoy getting the handoff there. So it's interesting that it's involving a few faces that maybe we wouldn't have expected to see a ton of, say, a couple months ago.
1: Right. That was something that that I I like seeing. Back into the fold is those kind of like jet sweeps that we've seen with the right receivers, those in rounds. I feel like every time we've seen that this year, and it's only been a few times, it's been successful. The first, mm-hmm. the first one that really comes to mind was Colorado State. Tyrone Tracy took one of those around and, and scored. I think there was a similar play against Maryland. I can't remember who it was. I think somebody had, had a similar play, and it was successful. Yeah, it sounds familiar. And then we didn't see it again until really the Northwestern game where, where Bruce took one for a touchdown. And then on the field goal drive, Charlie Jones took one of those for a first down. It only went six yards, but that was a, a successful play. So I like that variation. I feel like they can do even more with that now that they put it on tape a few times. It's been successful every time. So um, I like to see that. I did like what Gavin Williams brought to the table. I think that him and Goodson's games. Um, complement each other a little bit better than Goodson and Ivory Kelly Martin. So Ivory Kelly Martin is a veteran. Obviously, he knows the system, but him and Goodson are pretty similar kind of in build what they're trying to do in terms of run style. I feel like Gavin Williams is just like a straight line downhill, almost like power runner. We really haven't seen a lot of like 50 yeah. and a lot of moves, but he just runs really hard um, right into the teeth of a defense. So he's kind of – he described it this week as kind of like a thunder, lightning <laughs> – dynamic between him and Goodson so I like what they brought to the table um it seemed my like parents liked it as as well like their dynamics so I think the running game is in a good position and it kind of has to be at this time of the year weather's turning it's going to get cold um the weather's going to be a little bit more unpredictable so you have to be able to run the ball um in the final month if you're going to be you know successful and potentially win a division title
0: yeah and it's interesting Arwen has been having a great year same with fellow true freshman Keegan Johnson, and you kind of wonder at the wide receiver spot if they kind of continue to take a more prominent role the longer that Padilla is under center.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think that it's it's difficult, I think, for coaches because you want to honor seniority and you want to to have, you know, to, to put your, all your faith in, in, your veterans or players who have been there, but I think like it's a just,
0: Tyrone Tracy,
1: right? Exactly. Tyrone Tracy, Nico Regani, obviously, uh, who has made a lot of huge plays throughout, throughout the year. Uh, but I think that it's just becoming obvious that Johnson and Bruce with their development and what they're doing every time that they're on the field, it's like, they're almost too good to take off the field. And this is a good problem to have for Iowa because at the end yeah. of the year, the, the there was questions at wide receiver you knew you knew what Tracy brings to the table, he still brings those things to the table. Regani obviously has rapport with Spencer he's made a lot of clutch plays this year Charlie Jones is a veteran but after those three. You really didn't know what you had now that you know you have two explosive talented freshman receivers. In addition to your veterans you feel like you have a pretty deep receiving core of five guys who can who can go out there and, and do the job but. I think that what we're seeing is kind of like almost like a changing of the guard Uh, with Johnson getting a lot more snaps working exclusively kind of in like that, that number one receiver spot, which I think um, is a, is a fit for for him. Bruce is just kind of like a Swiss army knife. You can do a lot of things with him. So I think being
0: a gunner, we heard yesterday from Levar woods. I seen, man, this kid can do everything.
1: Right. That's, uh, I mean, that's the, that's what Iowa wants. Just kind of like all around athletes who are just committed to just kind of helping the team in any capacity. But I think their emergence is going to force Ryan fans to just continue to get more creative with the play calling. Like, you know, we have these guys, we can put them in a lot of different spaces. Let's see what we can do offensively to spring them open and to get some dominant plays. But, you know, to your point about Padilla, they've worked on the second team a lot together. Those three, Johnson had 11 targets, I believe against Northwestern.
0: Out of Sorry, I think I, like thirty some total too, so yeah. it's it's a pretty good chunk there.
1: Right, exactly. So to to see that um, was an encouraging sign, um, and it seems like we're asking about these freshmen every week. And you know, Kirk Ferentz uh, very complimentary of them because he's amazed that they're progressing at this level. The same same that we are. So them in the offense is a good thing for for Iowa. I think there's the challenge is just incorporating the veterans and the young players together. Um, to really just kind of have like a diverse and dynamic attack.
0: Yeah, because we haven't seen a ton of Tyrone Tracy this year, which has been a little surprising considering he seemed to be the clear number one going into this season. But the targets just haven't been there. You mentioned that end-around play. You've seen him a little bit in the running game, kind of doing different things, but not necessarily, I think, what any Hawkeye fan really would have expected Going into this season?
1: Right. I think, you know, for me, especially being new on the beat, when I came in in the summertime, a lot of the conversations about the offense at that point were kind of centered around Tracy and kind of the dynamic between him and the coaches of them. um, I don't know if I want to say having to convince him to come back, but there was a lot of conversations that were being had in the offseason between him and the coaching staff about what they were going to do about the offense what his role was going to be. Cause from what I understand he had a really big role, true uh, red shirt freshman year, last year, um, different type of year. They had two receivers from the NFL now, uh, really ran the ball with peaches as a first year star. So he didn't get a chance to to get those same targets. So coming into this year, it seemed big 10 media day, summer availabilities that the plan was to get him really involved. We just haven't really seen that come to fruition. I think that maybe he, him and Petris, we don't know what what we don't watch their practices, but maybe their connection isn't um what we thought it it was. Petris seemed to be targeting Charlie Jones a lot in, in the beginning of the season. Nico Regini was getting a lot of those targets and clutch moments towards the middle of the season. Um,
0: Specifically the Penn State one is, I right, think, the exactly. one that nobody will ever forget. Right, right. And so we
1: haven't really seen um, you know, too much of them. I think that the Northwestern game was is good for him to see to see him get multiple targets you can really see the emotion with him every time he caught the ball running really hard um visibly displaying emotion um after after his catches so he's a dynamic receiver um it is disappointing to see that he hasn't been able to really break out the way that we that we expected him to because he is a dynamic player he has you know all those skills that he had and all of the things that he showed redshirt freshman year it's still there. He's still that, that same player. It's just a matter of kind of finding the right position for him. Maybe the emergence of Keegan Johnson at the X will allow for Tracy to, to move to different places and maybe be able to, to get open and to have some new opportunities without having to kind of shoulder the responsibility of, of being the, the number one. So uh, I'm interested to see what happens against Minnesota, but um. It was good to see him kind of have a multi-catch game against Northwestern. I don't have the stats in front of me, but I feel like that was his first one um, in a really long time.
0: Yeah, Um, yeah, it was really really quiet, where I think it was like less than 100 receiving yards through the first eight games, I want to say, Mm -hmm. which is kind of unbelievable when you think about even just what you did last year, to have less than 100 in that much of a stretch. So it'll be... I want to say might've been 88 yards going into, or 89 yards. Mm. Um, I think it might've been 89 yards through the first eight games. Um, I'm sure I'll be getting a note from somebody giving me the exact number. (laughs) Uh, So don't know quite off the top of my head. It's somewhere in the eighties, but that's just so probably one of the bigger surprises on offense. Um, And defensively then kind of switching gears the Doughboys seem to be back in their full full level of production after a couple of quiet weeks.
1: Right. Yeah, it's been – they've kind of seen two ends of the spectrum this year. With the first six games of the season, they were just all over the place forcing all of these turnovers. And, of course, the direct correlation between turnovers force and success on offense. And then Purdue and Wisconsin, Purdue was a team that just – do it all over them. really challenged the secondary had some success. Wisconsin didn't really give the secondary a chance to turn the ball over with the way that they, they played play style wise, but it was good to see them come back for me. The most encouraging thing was Northwestern is one of the best teams in the conference at not giving the ball away. That's exactly what, what Iowa did in that game. It took the ball away and gave the opportunity to the offense to go out there and score some more points. So the good news is that Riley Moss is expected to play on Saturday. And um, from what my uh, my co-writer, Chad Lysico, was telling me, uh, he's like a Northwestern killer. I mean, a <laughs> Minnesota killer, I should say. Yeah, like two interceptions in his first um, game against Minnesota. As a freshman, he seems to kind of, um, you know, torment the Gophers when he's back there. So him being full tilt with, with Hankins, reuniting um, as that tandem, and the emergence of Jamari Harris to know that he is a starting – level cornerback if something were to happen to Moss Hankins whoever you can have someone to slide in there um, as they wait for for Terry Roberts to to come back so the secondary being at full strength at this point in the year is critical
0: and I expect to see them continue to make plays with with Moss back and Harris is a little bit of a question mark he hadn't played a ton I think it was like eight games he had appeared in before this season recording a stat I think in only one of those and then all of a sudden you see him emerge as a very capable cornerback. He got beat on that one play against Northwestern. So that one, those, okay. You're going to have some of those mistakes right. with that lack of experience, but he settled in there, first career interception. And it kind of makes you think, okay, that next generation of the doughboys, he could be a big piece of that.
1: Absolutely. 100%. That's what I was thinking. Um, even in the Wisconsin game, they challenged him a lot early in the game. I felt like he he held his zone. There really weren't any plays in that Wisconsin game where there were any deep shots over the field. It was a very conservative passing game. A lot of you know, Iowa playing zone. A lot of those were just kind of like easy completions, kind of like gimme completions that, that Wisconsin was, was making. He really didn't get beat on too much. But that's exactly right. When I was looking at him that game, then coming with Western game, seeing him do it two weeks in a row. I was thinking to myself, this looks like somebody who could really be cornerback one next year if, if Moss and Hankins leave. Uh, we imagine, you know, Tay Roberts would probably be back next year. But those two together, I think, would be a, a good tandem. And then behind them, you know, Xavier Williams, Reggie Bracey, those are going to be kind of like the guys. Cooper DeGene, those are going to be players we're watching out for for next year. But I'm looking at him like, no, this is somebody who who I can really see kind of like taking that that lead spot at cornerback next year. Um so his development is gonna be something that we're gonna definitely keep an eye on. Um we'll see how much he plays in these upcoming weeks um with with Moss back. But I expect him to to continue to to progress and um really be kind of like that next, like you said, like leading the next generation of, of the doughboys. And I expect that nickname to kind of like maybe be like a thing now um, at Iowa. Uh, we'll we'll check back. On, on saturday about how they're deciding to spell <laughs> it but right now it's credit. with
0: the z but right, i like right, your idea it? of the dollar sign
1: right like just a ima- literally like and you know if any players are, are watching this you don't have to give me a, a percentage of of the nil deal i just want to, <laughs> i just want the credit but really like just imagine like imagine that like on a shirt like you know maybe their faces maybe their last names and it just says doughboys dollar sign s like it's I can just see it. So,
0: oh yeah, I it would become almost as popular as the punting is winning shirts. Right, exactly. Like, yeah, maybe Raygun is hearing this, and maybe Raygun, you should have that nil offer out to the secondary there because, you know, that'll be good. And now we know, or now we know that Kirk Ferentz knows what that means with the Boys right you didn't quite get that at first I forgot that a turnover was also a pastry right so yeah. he was saying like dough like um the dough like turnovers and I was really confused right, And then you yeah. came in clutch there
1: yeah like had to yeah I was like no nah, it's money but that was a good that's why I, that's why I kind of hesitated to, to save money because I was thinking to myself like wow that really doesn't make sense it's really just <laughs> hilarious like the 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 age gap between like players even like young media members like us and then him to kind of like see how he thinks and it's like he's i'm you know obviously he's not just like up on slang like (laughs) like we are so he's like you know using his definitions and it's like comparing it to ours it's just it's funny but he said he was offered the nickname um he said he was offered for the nil so the players have have the green light so
0: the capitalist (laughs) society as (laughs) Ferenc brought up
1: Right, so if they um, if we start to, to see those shirts, um, I think that would just be like I think that'd be so cool, and I think it's it's kind of surprising that 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 group especially, and this is something that you know Tory Taylor is only in his second year, but the secondary is they have been doing this for years. Like this is like they have a long-standing tradition of turning the ball over in great and great secondary play. So it's kind of crazy that they don't have some type of like nickname or or calling card. Call. I know that's not the the Iowa way. I think that. Might have been after the the Maryland game, Raleigh Moss was like, Yeah, we don't do the turnover chains or the, <laughs> the savage pads or we don't do any of that stuff. We just do out of boys and we just go back out there and do it again. So maybe that's um, that's not what they do, but there's an opportunity here for, for Doughboys. They might need yeah. to make an exception for this one.
0: Some good money there. I don't know how you could exactly pass up on that one. Just think about how much Tory Taylor is making off the t-shirts. And right. of course, that's all going to charity. Um, but that could be a, that could be a good revenue source there. Right. And then defensive line wise, things seem to look pretty good against Northwestern granted um, Northwestern isn't the fiercest offensive line they're going to go up against, but they'll have a tougher challenge with some bigger Minnesota guys.
1: Right. I think this is such an interesting matchup because after the Wisconsin game, Noah Shannon said that he felt like the defensive line really shot themselves short against Wisconsin. And they have a very similar opportunity against Minnesota with their huge offensive line to kind of right the wrong from from that game. So I imagine they're watching a lot of that Wisconsin tape and using it as building blocks and learning experience. I think the biggest thing for the defensive line is for the first time. In several weeks, they're at full tilt for the, the group that they were going to have. Obviously, Ethan Herkin went out, so they lost um, one lineman. And then Deontay Craig went out, and he was really showing a lot of positive strides early in the year. That kind of halted his development. So they lost two, two rotation guys um, for a line that was still young, still learning things. So Craig came back, had a tackle for loss against Northwestern, so that was an encouraging sign. So this line is as healthy as they've been in a really long time. And that's something that that's going to, I think, pay dividends for for them. Um, move, and move a them. lot of
0: younger guys like a Van Ness, like a black who are stepping mm-hmm. into roles and contributing there.
1: Right. J- Joe Evans um, made a huge play against Wisconsin. He was in there on that on that fourth down stop. And then he was almost unblockable against Northwestern as, as a pass rusher. So it was good to see him get, get back into the action and really emerge. Um and show that he might be uh, probably the best pass rusher on the team of, of players who, who put their head in the ground. I know Van Valkenberg um, is a disruptor as well, but Evans has seemed to really be coming on the, these last few weeks. So they can continue to get that production out of him. Noah Shannon, obviously we know what he's bringing in the, in the middle and then Van Valkenberg on the other side, we can maybe see this, this line start to turn the corner a little bit.
0: Well, Kenny got any score prediction for Saturday. Yeah,
1: I have. So I think the spread is five and a half. I have IO covering the spread. I think the over under 37, I'm going over. So 23, 17, going to be a competitive game, but I think that the, the run game is going to get going. Padilla is going to make a, enough plays to win the game. Defense is going to, to play really strong. So going to be a highly competitive game, two teams with a lot to play for. Um, kind of like the same thing on both sides. Both of them playing for division implications, trophy on the line, um, huge game but uh, I think the Iowa at home behind the Kinnick crowd is going to pull it out in a one possession game.
0: I'm almost exactly the same there, except I have them not covering 2017 Iowa. It's going to be a good one. It's kind of the perfect kind of quintessential big 10 West rivalry, two teams with good defenses The cold weather, even though this is going to seem like Hawaii compared to what a month from now will be. But you got that cooler weather coming in, two teams that like to run the ball, even though Minnesota's done it a lot more effectively than Iowa has. So it'll be a great game.
1: Right. And then, of course, the – the added level of kind of like animosity, these, you know, the timeouts last year, you know, leave the timeouts here. We'll take the pig with us, all those things um, coming into to play. I mean, these are just two teams that don't like each other. It's a rivalry no. game, obviously. So Minnesota's going to come in highly motivated. They've lost six in a row. Um, Iowa is going to want to not lose another trophy. So, you know, something's going to have to, to give uh, on Saturday, but it's going to be um, an amazing, amazing game, amazing day of college football, um, huge opportunity for both of those teams to, reinsert themselves in the national conversation as we're winding down these last few weeks of the season
0: yeah i think whichever team wins is going to be the second team in a two-team race for the big 10 west behind wisconsin so it's right it's do or die time here
1: right right 100 this is what they this is what they said they wanted at the beginning of the year even after all their big wins you know they said We want to be able to be at a position where we're playing relevant football in November. The Northwestern game kind of propelled them to this point where now they're playing relevant in November. Now, the question is between them and Minnesota, they're going to be asking the trying to answer the same question, which is who's going to take that next step forward, continue on this path of competing for a division title and maybe whose season um, goes in a different direction with a loss and seemingly being out of the race at that point.
0: Yeah, and then looking closely at the bowl forecasts to figure out which one do you avoid the cheese at bowl. You know, that's not one I think that has a Big Ten affiliation. But take any of the other ones there.
1: Right. It's it's interesting because I looked it up um, after last week's game, and they I looked at four different websites, and they have Iowa going to four different bowl games. So it's literally (laughs) like on like a huge. Spectrum. The, the ones I saw, Citrus, Outback, Music City, and Las Vegas. So
0: yeah, I saw Las Vegas one. I think was the Athletic Stuart Mandel one.
1: Yeah. But I so, saw
0: that one and I wouldn't yeah. mind Vegas.
1: Yeah, they, no, Vegas would Vegas would be nice. Um uh, again, you know, me, of course, we talked about this at the beginning of the podcast. Like I would prefer a warm weather destination, of course. <laughs> so Nashville all the respect to the to the Music City Bowl in the city of Nashville I just I personally wouldn't prefer that (laughs) one first because this is going to be freezing at that time of year so for a lot
0: of Iowa people Nashville seems really warm in comparison so I know for somebody who understands the southern half of the country a lot better than I do that that's (laughs) not actually considered warm weather
1: Right, no, it's definitely no, it's definitely not. It's gonna be at that time of year near New Year's. It's gonna be like thirty something high, high in the forties oh. at that time. At that time of, year. it's gonna be freezing outside. So, oh, okay, um, yeah,
0: I, I agree. Let's go farther south. Uh, yeah, citrus sunny, sounds nice.
1: Sunny, right? They're gonna be some players gonna be wearing long sleeves in in that game um, close to New Year's, but you know, Tampa, Orlando, you no, know, you know, close to some water. <laughs> um, sunny day. The everybody's gonna be wearing, you know, short sleeves. It'll be a nice break from what is going to be probably a brutal December. From what um, I am preparing myself <laughs> for.
0: I'll be checking in on you, like on that first, like minus three degree high day. That that yeah, one's I'm... a that one's a fun one.
1: Right now you're gonna you're gonna hit me up and be like I'm cool I'm in the house. <laughs> I'm inside. Like I'm not going out. I'm not going outside to today.
0: <laughs> well, nice full circle there. We start off with winter. We end with winter. Right. So hopefully your second appearance on the podcast is as good as the first. Definitely. And thanks to the time today.
1: Yeah, no, I had a, I had a great time. Um, like what you've been doing since you've stepped into this, this role at the Gazette. Um, we always have fun and good banter with each other, that availability or in the press box. So um, looking forward to continuing that. And, um, I will bring that ice scraper on, on Saturday so we can have a good laugh about that.
0: Okay. And I still owe you some cheese curds. So, yes, yes. Maybe We're, I'll bring those. Well, can't really bring that into the press box. We'll right. take care of that another time.
1: Yeah, we'll definitely work it out. We'll work it out. Thanks again. All right. Thank you. Mm-hmm.
0: My next guest on the Hawk Off the Press podcast is Randy Johnson, the Gophers reporter for the Minneapolis Star Tribune. Randy, thanks for joining me today. Oh, th- thank you. No problem there. should be fun. Well, it seemed like things are going pretty well for the Gophers as they had that winning streak going and then Illinois happened.
2: What exactly went wrong there? You know, it just kind of a, a little bit of everything went wrong. It, it kind of seemed a little similar to their loss to Bowling Green earlier in the season. It They it, it just didn't get their offense going. Uh, they got behind early 14-0 uh, on the first play of the of the uh, second quarter uh, and just, they just couldn't get the, their run game only produced 89 yards, two games before they had gone over 300, both of those games um, got beat up front Uh, offensive line had a uncharacteristically bad day, uh, gave up six sacks, Tanner Morgan threw a couple of interceptions, one, one early in the game that uh, Illinois cashed in for a touchdown Then one, one at the end that ended the Gophers last threat. Uh, Yeah. They just, uh, you know, they were forced to play, out of their comfort zone, and, and that's, that's one way you can, you can beat the team is, is if you make, you make them pass, if you uh, get a lead on them, they haven't always been the best at, uh, at uh, coming back. They haven't been in that situation too often this year either.
0: And you're talking about that comfort zone. The comfort zone definitely seems to be running the ball, even though it's involving now some players that maybe weren't at the top of the depth chart, say, a couple months ago.
2: Yeah, they're they're basically down to their fifth and sixth running backs as it would would have started the season uh, on the depth chart. Uh, well, they lost the reigning Big Ten running back of the year, Mo Abrahim, in the first game. Jordan uh, Achilles. They they lost Trey Potts at Purdue. Uh, they lost Bryce Williams at Northwestern to a, um, uh, a ankle injury um, that's, that required surgery. They had Cam Wiley a. Um, who was probably about fourth in the death chart going into the season, he, he entered the transfer portal. So they're, yeah, they're down to uh, uh, a redshirt freshman, Kai Thomas, and a true freshman, Marque- Marquise, or Marquise Gray, or Marquise Irving, who's, uh, uh, they're, they're both four-star backs and they have a lot of potential. They've shown a lot of productivity so far with um, uh, back-to-back 100-yard games uh, for both of them, but they were shut down this past week by Illinois. Wow, there can't be too many people left in that room there at this yeah, point. Yeah, either three of them get hurt. Right no, is a uh, they they took a linebacker, Derek LeCaptain, uh, moved him over uh, uh, to to offense, and he, he responded late in the North Carolina game with a twenty four yard touchdown run where he uh, basically uh, broke three or four tackles and found the end zone. Oh wow, that's really getting creative there when you have your
0: linebacker doing that yeah. Two... Two position athlete, right
2: there. Yeah, he was he was a pretty good uh, two sport athlete, or, or you know, basically two way athlete uh, in um, Wisconsin. Uh, basically set the uh, state record for combi- uh, total offense yards, things like that. But uh, yeah, so yeah, they, they they got somebody there who knows to run the knows how to run the ball. It's just you know he hasn't been hasn't had a whole lot of experience at the college level. And then quarterback
0: Tanner Morgan's probably not a stranger to many Iowa fans after the last couple of years. Seems like he's really somebody who utilizes that run pass option a lot.
2: Yeah. He, you know, he, he's, uh, he, he's been a, a pretty good game manager this year for them. Uh, they basically, you know, they, they like to uh, run the ball. They've run it 70% of the time this year. They like to bleed the clock, uh, limit, limit possessions for the opponent. And Tanner has been pretty efficient for the most part. The tough parts is is when when he, uh, gets put in a situation where they're forced to pass. Um, uh, you know, two years ago, he had an outstanding year, uh, a second team, all big 10, and it helped uh, immensely that he had two NFL caliber wide receivers there and Rashad Bateman and Tyler Johnson. Um, they don't have that. They've, they've, along with the the depleted running back core, they've had, uh, injuries uh, to the wide receiver core, to uh, Chris Hoffman-Bell. Uh, their best receiver has been in and out of the lineup. Uh, they've had some time missed by Daniel Jackson and, and uh, Dalen Wright. So it's just it's just a lot of inconsistencies and it kind of caught up with them uh, against Illinois. And then
0: Iowa is coming off in their last two games kind of polar opposites in terms of rush defenses. They had Wisconsin that's probably – as good of a rush defense as there is in the conference. And then they go from that to Northwestern, which is about as porous of a rush defense in the conference, back-to-back weeks there. Where on that spectrum do you see Minnesota being in terms of rush defenses?
2: Well, Minnesota was, was uh, they were very good against the rush. They were they were second in the conference going into the Illinois game. They gave up 150 to uh, Illinois' uh, good running back there. Um, so, a lot of it was early. They, uh, they fell behind. They right away uh, gave, gave up a 49 yard, yard drive after an interception, and then a long 84 yard drive to make it 14, nothing, but they stiffened up the rest of the way. They basically, uh, Illinois had half of its yards on those first two possessions and the Gophers held them scoreless the rest of the way. And then in terms of pass defense, so there'll be an interesting
0: Time for Iowa's quarterback situation, with it looking as of right now that Alex Padilla is going to be the starter. But who knows? Kirk Fearns could always put pull a rabbit out of his hat yeah. between now and Saturday, so we won't be totally sure till they take the field at Kinnick. But what should Iowa fans expect to see from this Minnesota pass defense?
2: Well, I, I think it would uh, be really important for the Gophers. Uh, they're probably their strength is their defensive line they rotate about eight guys in there and they've got a lot of productivity from them. If they can put some pressure on the quarterback, uh, that'll make it a, uh, the job of the secondary a lot easier. Uh, they've got two pretty good, uh, linebackers in Jack Gibbons and, uh, Marion, sorry, Marin they've, they've upped their play quite a bit. They're, they're solid pretty much all, all over on defense. So, you know, the, the defense, uh, need to come, need to, needs to come up pretty big. And if they could, uh, you know, pick off a pass or two or get, or get a fumble. I mean, that would go a long way because we all know how, how Iowa feasts off turnovers and, you know, they got to be, Gophers got to play pretty clean on offense to avoid that.
0: Yeah, saw that one with Northwestern where the Iowa Secondary, it calls themselves the Doughboys. are kind of yeah. back there with the three interceptions. It is funny, Kirk Ferentz, um, I asked him about that and he thought that his Doughboys, because of the turnover, like the pastry, <laughs> And then we had to say no, not that. Money. <laughs> no money. Other dough. Uh, special teams wise, it looks like Minnesota's had a punter that's kind of settled in after maybe a
2: rocky start to the year. Yeah, Mark Crawford's been pretty good lately. He, he, he's uh, he, he's done a good job. Uh, flipped the field a couple times. He's. He's decent, uh, pinning uh, opponents down in there, down inside their 20. Um, you know, that's been a bit, bit of a strength in the special teams. Uh, kicking game, uh, a little bit, uh, not so much there. They've uh, uh last week it hurt him. Um, uh, Matthew Trickett missed a 45 yard field goal, then an extra point. Um, their, their regular kickoff man, um, Dragan Kessich, was out last week because injury. Um, uh, Treka took took over there and did fine uh, with a couple of touchbacks. Um, but yeah, that that they uh, they need reliability from the kicking game.
0: Well, it'll certainly be an interesting matchup in terms of seeing who takes home the bronze pig. Which, when it's a rivalry involving a bronze pig, you know it's a true midwestern Big Ten game right there. Randy, thanks oh, yeah. for the time. Yep, yeah, thank you. And thank you to the listeners for tuning into another episode. I'll be back with an edition of After the Final Score after Saturday's game. Until then, we will talk Hawks later.